0: Hi, I'm Evan Ross Katz, and the last thing that I prayed for was the end of Bethany Frankel's podcast. Hello, I'm JC. And
1: I'm Jess. And, and this is Pray this
2: for is U.S. Pray for U.S. it's uh it's
1: a great podcast it's a podcast about practicing an ancient religion in the modern day we're talking about food culture relationships celebrities and kind of everything in between we have a great show for you today we talk to evan ross cats in a little bit but for now we're we're talking to ourselves jess how's it going
2: i'm fucking fabulous after finding out that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to be our next president and vice president, I was just on cloud nine. This is the good news we needed so badly after an absolutely awful year. And like, (laughs) also, I wouldn't say equally terrible four years, but um, since 2016, things have been great. (laughs) Let's just put it that way.
1: I feel like I have not felt this much. I don't even want to say unity as a country, but because that's not true. But like, Mm-hmm. joy from the country since like we all discovered Hamilton honestly which i know whatever <laughs> i won't get you started on Hamilton but
2: <laughs> i missed out on that opportunity
1: <laughs> yeah but you saw it on disney plus didn't you
2: that's true thank you for lending me your password
1: you're welcome um did you do anything to celebrate the big win
2: yeah so i was in crestline california which is like up in the mountains the San Bernardino mountains with two of my best friends and it was snowing. So I woke up, my mom texted me, Biden won. Immediately I checked Twitter, which is a verified news source and her text was confirmed. And then (laughs) we were all like giddy and we looked outside and it started snowing. And I was like, this is the closest I'll ever get this morning. It was incredible. And then we were like turned on the news we were dancing, we were crying. We were like, I mean, I didn't really cry that much, but I teared up. And oh, I cried. <laughs> I cried during Kamala's speech. And it just was like an overwhelming feeling of happiness and relief. Obviously, there's so much work to do and our country remains more divided than ever, but this is a really good start and I do. I don't know. I just have faith. Where where were you on Saturday?
1: Well, I woke up fairly early, um, so I like you checked Twitter, confirmed, mm-hmm. got excited, started screaming around the house with joy. Jack, boyfriend, if, for anyone who doesn't know, Jack and I walked our dog down the street down to Sunset Boulevard, and everyone was honking their horn and dancing in the street. And when I saw that, that's when I started crying because I was like, "This is." Surreal. We got in Jack's car and drove up and down sunset like blasting fuck Donald Trump and like crazy train <laughs> and just like pointing in on the Are fun. Too, train? Um <laughs> it worked. People were like loving it. They were dancing, party in the USA. I made a playlist. I um, love that you
2: got drunk. At what time of day was that?
1: Um, I think the drinking began at
2: like twelve thirty
1: PM, I want to say. Oh, that's reasonable. So like the afternoon, but barely.
2: One of my friends was drinking champagne at like 9 a.m. And good for her. We should have all been doing that.
1: My thing is I can't drink champagne. I don't know. My body has like a visceral reaction to champagne. So like any morning beverage, I can't really do. I can't do a mimosa. Mm-hmm. Um, So I just started with mezcal uh, right in oh, the afternoon.
2: JC, this is why we're friends. I hate champagne and I love mezcal. So.
1: Oh my God. I actually did not know this
2: about you. Let's have a... Yeah. Have,
1: anyone wants to send us gifts?
2: We'll So you see this. I did sort of feel like I had some FOMO because I wasn't in LA or New York or Philadelphia or like a major city. Yeah. And I wanted to be part of like the dancing in the streets. But I still, I'll remember this weekend for the rest of my life. I, I really hope that this is the beginning of a new era and that we don't go back to the way things were. But it's also like a reminder, like this isn't over. Like evil will always be a force that we have to battle, but like, I don't know. I I do feel like good trumped evil this time.
1: I completely agree. And I will say you, while you did kind of miss something special in LA, it is also still COVID. True. So I am getting tested tomorrow morning and oh, okay. I am worried for this county because cases are zero Rising. chill.
2: I feel That's, like- Yes. Similar to the BLM protests, as long as people were wearing masks correctly, the chances of a COVID outbreak because of large gatherings outside like that are pretty slim. I
1: just saw a lot of videos of people like pulling down their masks to chug champagne and then keeping their masks down while they scream and stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Don't know. No, But, you know, we'll just see what happens and ride that second and that third wave. You know what I'm talking about?
2: Hell yeah. Put it on out. Pfizer has a vaccine that they say is 90% effective. Obviously, long road ahead, but still, I am clinging on to good news. Like, my life depends on it because it kind of does.
1: Are you going to get the vaccine as soon as possible, or what's your
2: vibe? I'm getting the sense that they're going to give, I hope that they give the vaccine to first responders and people who are more vulnerable to the virus first, and then by the time it gets to people like me, I have a feeling it's going to be a while. I definitely am apprehensive. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I have to cross that bridge when I get to it. I feel like we're going to find out so much more information in the next couple of months about the effects and everything that went into like developing the vaccine. So I'll keep you posted. I feel the same way. I have nothing to add. Jacey, you're going <laughs> home to New York for the holiday soon, right?
1: Yes, I am leaving. Well, the day this airs is the day I'll be leaving. And I'm staying there until mid-December. And I'm fucking stoked. I'm going to have bagels. I'm going to have Italian sandwiches. And my mom is going to make crepla which is like a Jewish dumpling. I asked her to make chicken soup with
2: kreplah. So that's happening. Basically,
1: I'm just excited to go eat the New York foods.
2: I'm excited for you to go eat the New York foods. I'm happy for you, but I'm jealous.
1: Are you going to Arizona?
2: I'm staying in LA for Thanksgiving and then I'll be going home mid-December for a couple of weeks. Not for that long. I cannot be home for that long. And also... I like live driving distance. It's like a six and a half hour drive to Arizona. So I can come back and forth pretty easily, but nothing but respect for anyone who can spend more than two weeks with their family. I don't know how you do it.
1: (laughs) Well, I also like Jack is coming with me. We have the basement um, pretty much to ourselves Yeah, and I'm still going to be working during the day. So my core family time is at dinner. So like one hour a day for a month, like I can do that.
2: Yeah. That's not so bad. The issue with me is my parents are divorced, so there's not really like a ton of space for us. I mean, there are enough beds for me and my sisters, but we just like it's not like going home to the house that you grew up in. And also with COVID, it's like that extra layer of like stress and difficulty. Cause like when you're going back and forth to two different households, it just gets kind of messy. So we're getting an Airbnb, which I think is fun because it makes it feel like it's more of a vacation. We'll see how. Yeah, that works vacay, out. vacay, baby,
1: vacay, twenty twenty.
2: <laughs> Speaking of the holidays, we are coming out with a holiday survival episode, free of charge, with a special guest who you'll find out who that is closer to the date. And we have booked them. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> we plan this out. We're oh, just no. building suspense.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it. I thought you were going to say who it was, but um, now oh my I God, guess I would we'll just, never. You would never. Thank God.
2: We had Evan Ross Katz on the show this week. He's such a delight. He's joined us in
1: the studio. Just kidding. It was (laughs) over Zoom. Sorry.
2: The Zoom studio. (laughs) He is like a a pop culture icon in his own right. Honestly, should have like a doctorate in Bravo TV.
1: Oh, I completely agree. Duh. Like that goes without saying. If you've ever um, peeped his Insta, you would know that. But he's also good friends with Jake Cohen, which we learned also through Instagram, so I just thought I'd mention that because it's oh yeah, that's so right. wonderful having these yeah having uh groups of friends on the pod. We love to see it.
2: It's so funny. I feel like the gays are like the Jews, and that they all know each other. So when you're talking about gay Jews, it's like an even smaller circle, and I I love it personally. It, yeah, it's nice. I love it as well. It's a nice little community. All right, without further ado, <laughs> here's Evan Ross Katz.
1: Here's us and us. To Evan Ross Katz. <laughs> Today we are joined by Evan Ross Katz. Evan is a writer and editor and host of the podcast Shut Up Evan, which we fucking love. It's a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. His work can be seen in Garage Magazine, Out, Fashionista, Men's Health, Refinery29, Teen Vogue, the list truly goes on. He also creates content for Netflix's LGBTQ plus focus channel, The Most. He's honestly a pop culture historian. He has an iconic Instagram page. I'm sure you've seen it. Evan, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome.
0: Thank you. What a lovely intro. That was quite the intro.
1: I tried. Thanks. Um, Put a lot of pep in my stuff on this, on this, uh, what's What's Today's Thursday. Thursday morning.
2: A day. <laughs> what <laughs> is time anymore?
1: So Evan, where are you currently?
0: I'm in Obernburg, New York, which is like about two and a half hours northwest of New York City. It's my second to last day here. I've been here for three months. I return... To Manhattan tomorrow.
1: Oh my gosh. Are you just like in an Airbnb?
0: Yeah, I'm in mean like a, an Airbnb that we, we booked it like way back at the beginning. My boyfriend and I way back at the beginning of the pandemic when we um, had an inkling that, that, that we saw the numbers going up, you know, shocking. Um, and so we booked this just because we wanted to, we're in a, um, a studio apartment, the two of us, and we both were working from mm-hmm. home and it just became untenable. And so we got this little cute little house on top of a mountain.
1: Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, Are you, so, okay, are you near, like, Monticello at all? Yes. Like, further up? Yes. Oh, my God. You're the
0: first person to actually, like, yes, we're 40 minutes from Monticello. And it's just so funny because when I tell people that, because that's, like, the nearest big town to us, that just registers mm-hmm. for no one, but it makes sense. You're Jewish; that you would you would understand. Yes, forty minutes from Monticello. Yes,
1: my <laughs> my grandma has a like a little lake house uh, in Monticello that is like our country house. Mm-hmm. So I'm very familiar with that area. There's like nothing there, but it's also like a perfect getaway.
0: Exactly, it is both of those things entirely.
2: Where are you from originally?
0: I'm from Squirrel Hill, which, as uh, sadly, might be. Known to many of your listeners as the place uh, that had the Tree of Life uh, synagogue shooting two years ago, oh, yeah, right. um, but we are much more than a shooting. But mm-hmm. uh, I originally grew up there, um, mm-hmm. and then I moved to the suburbs of Pittsburgh when I was six, and so I grew up. It's it's called Mount Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the mm-hmm. it's Joe Manganiello went to my high school. That's probably like Love. our best export. Um, but I'm, yeah. it's, <laughs> Not it's including about, um Eight miles. Yeah. <laughs> it's eight miles south of uh, Pittsburgh proper.
2: Gotcha. And then did you grow up in a pretty religious household or what was your relationship with Judaism like?
0: So we were pretty religious, like in retrospect. So I attended uh temple emmanuel in the south hills which was a reform synagogue for the majority of my life um i went to hebrew school every wednesday i went to sunday school on sunday mornings and then i would say we attended friday night services maybe like once every three weeks um so i was at temple pretty regularly and mostly kind of like at the time saw it as sort of just like an after-school program of sorts. Like, it was, like, a select group of kids that I went to normal school with that I would just have, like, extended studies about. And, like, I don't think I completely grasped, like, the concept of religion at the time. Um, It was more of, like, a nuisance to have to, like, attend this, like, extra school. Mm -hmm. And I remember being really jealous of, like, my Catholic friends because they only had one day a week, and we had, like, the the Wednesday of it all really kind of irked me, because Sunday, I was like, (laughs) fine, whatever. So, yeah, and then as far as, like, services go, I just remember that being, like, very boring, and I remember getting scolded by my mom a lot for talking. Like, that was, like, we had to to (laughs) listen and intently up at the thing. And I also, one of the things I remember like for a time period being like, oh, like a cancer, what an exciting job. Like like, we get to sing. And then I kind of was like not really moved by the songs we were singing. (laughs) So that was like my early, and then I attended Jewish high school for a year, which was like a Monday night. Okay. Part of, extension mm-hmm. if we, you know, as though we needed more. And I remember, I think it was in 10th grade when I like petitioned my mother and I was like, I do not want to do this anymore. And surprisingly, this is very out of character for my mother, but my mother agreed and I no longer attended Jewish high school.
1: Wow. That's so funny because I had the exact same experience. Once it switched to Monday nights. And once I like, I did my bat mitzvah and then I was in high school, I was going Monday nights, they were like feeding us pizza. I had like one friend in it. Mm -hmm. The rest of the people were like actual weirdos who like, that was disrespectful, (laughs) but like people who were actually trying to like be more rabbinical. And then it was just like me. And I told my mom, I was like, I really don't want to do this anymore. And she was like, honestly, I can't, I can't fight with you yeah. on that. Like I I feel so. like
0: in um by like high school, like lines are drawn more in the sand about mm-hmm. like different like social circles. So whereas like when I was mm-hmm. like younger in middle school and Hebrew school, it was kind of just like we were more like a conglomerate of kids just kind of, you know, learning about the Torah and whatnot. But by high school, there was just like a lot of apathy and not mm-hmm. necessarily towards Judaism, but towards each other. And then also just it was like yeah. Monday night. Like we had like better things to do, like <laughs> be on aim, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Was your high school predominantly Jewish or was it more split?
0: No, my high school was probably 10% Jewish, okay. like about around that mm-hmm. number. And then, so I went to high school, I transferred between my freshman and sophomore year to the performing arts high school in pittsburgh kappa our oh. our best export from kappa would be billy porter oh um, that's got a lot of really good exports <laughs> yeah. um but at that point when i was going to city school i would say my high school was incredibly racially diverse but not religiously diverse i would say once i transferred downtown to kappa it would probably be even less of a jewish population so yeah, I was I was used to sort of being, I wouldn't say an anomaly, there were other Jewish people around, but like within my social circle, I would say I was one of a few, if not the only Jew.
2: And were your parents friends with a lot of Jews?
0: Oh my God, yes. Only parents, Jews? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not entirely, but I would say like the crux of my mom and dad's social sphere mm-hmm. is either Jewish, People or hockey parents, because both of my older brothers played hockey. And Gosh, then, of course, there was like the crossover of like Jewish hockey parents, which is like the sweetest thought. <laughs> um, but yes, I would say predominantly Jews. But it's funny because if my mother listens to this, she will push back and say that that is not the case, but it is the case.
1: That's so funny. Well, here's this question. Uh, did your mom have like a mahjong circle? Did she have like a little club for that? Because that's the... You say did, time. as in it's
0: a past tense idea. Um, <laughs> yes, my mom does. Um, I don't think they're actively playing because of the current state of the world. Mm-hmm. But yes, she was very much involved in that. And just in general, um, my mom, any of like my mom... And my parents are very much like... They're very social and they're very like group outing oriented. And it would be kind of like... I wouldn't say it's, like, quite a real housewives kind of menagerie because I think there's more figures that pop in and out, but, like, the whole friend universe of my parents is comprised predominantly of Jewish people. Yeah. there are worse things.
2: Did you feel like your, <laughs> your Jewish friends were separated from your friends of other religions, and same for your parents? Because I feel like that's what it was like for me. My parents were always like, why don't you have more Jewish friends? I had, like, four.
0: I didn't really have a lot of Jewish friends. I would say that the people that I was like close with at Hebrew school and Sunday school was more by convenience mm-hmm. and I and I definitely like I had one friend, Ross, shout out Ross, hey, um, Ross, who I would hang out with who was who sort of was like Jewish and into theater, so like we had sort of like two areas of interest to check off, but I would say in general no, just because there weren't I didn't have I didn't relate to People because of Judaism, the way that, like, now if I meet a gay person, mm-hmm. more often than not, unless it's like a Trump supporting gay person, but more often than not, it's like I have a natural kinship with them. Mm-hmm. That was never my, I never felt that sense out of from Jewish people in my youth, I'm speaking mm-hmm. about. So yeah, I mean, I am trying to. I just don't think I was close. I don't want to say any Jewish people because I know I'm going to have like one friend listening being like Evan, um, <laughs> but I, do, I think that I would say the majority of my social circle were non-Jews. Gotcha,
1: mine too. But one, can I say one hand. thing. Like one memory though, yeah, is like
0: I. There was times that friends of mine would make anti-Semitic jokes. That was like a common occurrence, and that I do remember. That was like a non-starter for me. And that was one thing that would get very under my skin was like, I did not, there was like a comfort that non-Jews would feel about making Mm -hmm. Jewish jokes around me. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. we're not, we're not going to do that. Yeah.
1: Did you ever have that experience where you heard any of your non-Jewish friends' parents say something anti-Semitic, like totally mindlessly?
0: I didn't, but knowing or recalling the kind of young person that I was, I feel like that's the kind of Mm -hmm. thing I would have called out very loudly. Mm -hmm.
2: Can I ask... I'm not passive aggressive. (laughs) Can I ask what sorts of (laughs) things they would say or what... I mean, were they like microaggressions or was it like overt anti-Semitism? Not that one is better than the other.
0: I don't remember specifics. I just remember the feeling of... Because it's like when people would make fun of me for being gay, it was very overt. Mm -hmm. And I also, I understood that what they were really making fun of about me being gay was me being effeminate. Like they weren't, they didn't care about the fact that I was a man attracted to men. They cared about the fact that I acted in their eyes like a girl and that was something to be made fun of, which there's misogyny involved in that as well. Mm -hmm. But um, that stands out for me more. The Jewish comments, what was interesting about my, my memory of them is that Whereas when I was called a faggot or called any kind of being made fun of for being gay, it was the intention was to hurt me. And when I was made, when people would make jokes about Judaism, more more often than not, I don't want to say always, but the intention wasn't to actually be hurtful. The intention was to be funny, mm-hmm. and I became very aware of that difference and i'm not and 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 i didn't i don't think i like unpacked it at the time like what it meant but i was aware of the fact that when people were making jewish jokes it wasn't done with the same intention as when people would make fun of me for being gay Mm -hmm.
2: i think also jc i don't know correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of jews make fun of themselves so when non-jews see that they think it's okay to participate in that when it's not so that's a lot of like what i've experienced But I also feel like it's on me to correct them or let them know, like, this is not okay or this is hurtful. And that's really hard. That's honestly really awkward more than anything. JC, do you agree or no?
1: No, I completely agree. I mean, we're all sitting here, like, we're all involved in comedy in some way. Mm -hmm. And, like, I know in my comedy when I used to do that, TBT, like, I talked about being Jewish and made fun of myself Mm -hmm. all the time. And I think that that's because i've seen a bunch of other jews and like the great jewish women legacy have done before me and i think completely like if that's seen on the media and seen by others like they feel more comfortable doing it it's, it's a vicious circle um, evan's nodding his head sorry but, i always <laughs> like, Evan i wanted yeah. to no <laughs> no i agree everyone can see it's fine um, i did want to ask what at what age did you come out
0: as gay, not Jewish, right?
1: <laughs> as, <just laughs> correct, as gay. Um, I came out,
0: it's funny, I came out to my mother at 16. I never came out to my father or my brothers or like my grandparents. I I, I kind of tasked it with my, to my mother to like, you know, fill, fill everyone in. But I had the unique experience of, because I transferred high school between freshman and sophomore year, I was able to go into my second high school out. So I never had to have a coming out because everyone at my second high school just met me as gay. And I wish that for so many people that they could have that experience or something similar because I think that the pressures that a lot of people feel to come out because it's like this idea of everyone knows me as this one thing. So I need to reintroduce myself when I had the privilege of never having to sort of like change people's perceptions of me it was just like i gave them as though like they wouldn't already know. but <laughs> i was explicit about the fact coming into my new school that was very important to me that i came into that school as the gay kid thankfully there were so many other lgbtq plus people at that school because it was downtown it was just there was a more mixed crowd and therefore there was just more diverse, diversity, and I don't just mean racially, I also just mean economically, life experience, et cetera. So it was a lot easier. But yeah, I would say, so 16 was like when it became something that I felt, pow- I felt a power in identifying my own self with that label.
2: And before. how did your family take it? Were they supportive or were they sort of apprehensive?
0: No, it's like, it's funny. They were supportive. It just wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. And like in a... I guess in a good way, right? Like, I, I guess, like, in, I, it's some, it's in retrospect, it's like, I guess it was a good thing that it wasn't a big deal. I've just never, any narrative around coming out and that I see in media or even, like, stories that I'll hear from celebrities mm-hmm. and whatnot never resonates for me just because it was just such a non-event. I think that if you met me in my youth, my gayness was so apparent mm-hmm. that it just wasn't a thing. And then on top of it, I don't think my parents were, like, great about it in the sense that, I I think that they they didn't have a lot of understanding about, like, what it meant, but neither did I. Mm -hmm. So it was never... I mean, it wasn't, like, a Love, Simon moment. Like, it wasn't Jennifer Garner crying, saying, you know, now I can exhale. (laughs) But there was no animosity. I never felt any sort of, like, change in the tenor of our relationship whatsoever. So it really... It was just such a non-event in many senses. And, And it's, like, now, my parents, it's, like, we can discuss things, like things with my boyfriend and mm-hmm. and just like I can say when I'm attracted to a man that I see or something. And my mom will share with me when she's attracted to a man besides my father. <laughs> um, but uh <laughs> I would say at the time it just was like, it was a declaration, but there was no sort of excavation beyond the I'm gay. Okay,
2: that's really all you can ask for as a kid. Just like a non-event, really.
0: Yeah, like it's, the thing is, and I can only speak for myself, everyone has their own experiences about both their coming out and their own sort of like their own internal recognition and acceptance of their whatever acronym they fall under within the community. But I think for me, it's like, I knew I was attracted to men at 16. I had that recognition, but, you know, and similar to my Judaism now later in life, it's like being gay is so much more than my sexuality. I think that in the subsequent years after 16 17, 18, 19, 20 into college, that's when like, what it means to be gay started to take on a more topical role in my day-to-day life. And Mm -hmm. I would say that was my late teens, early 20s. I would say the Jewish part of all of this comes more in my late 20s, where it's like I started to realize that being Jewish was a lot more than just my religious belief or my religious practice. Right,
1: completely. Are your parents first generation... That's not the right word. Are your parents from... Were they born in America?
0: Yes, my... Mother and father were born in America. My father's father escaped Germany during the Holocaust and came over to Buffalo. So my grandparents are not, but my parents are. So is that? Sec- I don't even know how this works. Is so my dad. Oh, no, that's why I was like, yeah. Wait, I, sound I so think stupid. my parents. <laughs> my dad is second generation. Mm-hmm. So you would be third. Yeah,
1: I think. I'm really so, good at math. Yeah, maybe. So you're, okay, so is German, German's technically Ashkenazi, obviously, because it's European, but I just feel like German Jew is like its own thing. I don't know. I mean.
0: <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know. I want to say Ashkenazi just because that's, a, when you say that, it's like I've heard that a lot of my life, mm-hmm. like that term, more than
1: I've heard yeah. Sephardic, but I don't know. <laughs> so I
0: can't confirm, but I can say I have an inkling that I'm Ashkenazi. Okay.
1: We'll take it. That's so funny. If if you did like a Ancestry.com or a 23 andme it would it would definitely Yeah, yeah. Lose. I'll put that
0: on
2: my to-do list. Yeah, high priority. Yeah, <laughs> sell my sell my genealogy. <laughs> do you guys have any like family traditions that you've carried over from your youth to your adult life that like you do on your own, not necessarily something you do with your family or your parents? I mean, I don't wanna like put my parents on blast.
0: Not really. <laughs> I mean, my, and you're speaking specifically to like Jewish customs? Yeah, or if you have another fun tradition,
2: Doesn't we'll take it. Okay.
0: <laughs> we love a tradition Yeah, here. I mean, not really. I mean, I would say that I my understanding growing up was that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were like the important holidays. I think just because those were the holidays that I wasn't in school and school was going on. Mm-hmm. So there was like that feeling as a young person that was like, you felt very othered in those moments because... Whereas on a holiday like Easter, we all had off. So there was this recognition of this idea that this holiday, even if you don't partake in it, is so important that the world has to stop for it. And with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it was so dichotomous growing up because it was like held up within within the Jewish community as like these two most important days. And yet the signal from outside of the Jewish community was that. It's not important enough for the world to stop. You can stop rotating, but the world will keep spinning. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get off, the, you know, get off mm-hmm. for a moment. So that was always interesting to really think about. But so I remember those holidays being really important. I remember like the break fast and and just the sort of like. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like the psychology of breakfast in adulthood. Realizing now that it's like, of course you're going to like love breakfast because it's like you're literally <laughs> starving. So it's like all of like the brain chemistry of like you just getting food back in your system and like sort of like you know the placebo leading up to those moments but then also just like literally like the nutrients entering <laughs> your body um so i remember that being really important i would say bagels was like a hugely important thing but bagels are always so interesting to me cuz it's like both very very jewish and also very very like just ubiquitous mm-hmm. um which i think mm-hmm. is the case with a lot of Not all, but a lot of Jewish things. I mean, like, I think about, um, what's the fish that people like on the bagel? Um,
2: Lox. Lox.
0: I think about lox, which is, like, I think of it as, like, a very Jewish food. But for all intents and purposes, it's, like, I know a lot of people, non-Jews, that have no association with lox as being Mm -hmm. any kind of, like, Jewish food Mm -hmm. at all. So... Yeah, so I would say, but I would say Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah were big. Hanukkah, not so much. I remember Hanukkah like kind of depressing me, just in Mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, the lack of. It's like I remember in the beginning we're tricked into thinking like, oh, we get eight days. But then you realize it's like because it's so spread out, it ends up being so meaningless Mm -hmm. because it's just like it loses steam. And then also I feel like as a community we've never really decided like is the first day the one or the last (laughs) day the one that we're really gonna like give it the oomph, and, like, we still have not reached critical consensus. (laughs) So less (laughs) customs and more memories of holiday. I would say the one that I, like, have adopted in adulthood would just be, like, making hamantashen. And I think that's just more because, like, (gasps) I like to bake, and it's super easy to make hamantashen.
2: I love that.
1: I absolutely love hamantashen. They're, like, my favorite cookie over, like, any normal cookie.
2: Poppy seed, poppy seed, poppy seed, poppy seed. Poppy seed, yes. Yes.
1: We, Jess and I love poppy seed. Yeah. Fuck, like the fruit
0: ones are just like, that's so gross. I hate like blobs of like sugary fruit. Yeah.
1: Like,
2: so
0: disgusting to me. So for me, it's like poppy seed, maybe a chocolate one, but that can be a little too decadent for me. Mm-hmm. But like, I just love a poppy
1: seed. I love the poppy seed. I don't mind the globby fruit. I prefer like an apricot, like a less sweet. I'm not a chocolate person. So I'm glad we can all agree on the poppy yeah, seed. Yeah, we all means. have that in common. Evan, did you go to camp?
0: I did. I went to Jewish camp. Um, Very lead. I went to Emma Kaufman camp. Well, actually, first I went to Camp Walden in upstate New York for one year. I don't even know if it still exists, but I know Emma Kaufman camp does still exist. It's in West Virginia. It was like about an hour and a half from my house in Pittsburgh. And it was an all Jewish camp. And we would have like Shabbat dinner on Friday night, followed by services. There were non-Jews that attended the camp, but like it was like a very explicitly Jewish camp. And that was really fun. I actually think, and I'm having this thought as I'm speaking it, but it's like that was more formative in terms of, like, Jewish identity for me, like, being around Jews in that setting and having, like, and creating memories versus sitting in a classroom and learning, you know, Hebrew, a language that I would never, ever put to any use whatsoever. (laughs) But the idea of, like, you know, playing color war with a bunch of Jews in, you know, the woods of West Virginia, as traumatizing as that sounds, was actually, like, really wonderful and allowed me to connect with Jewish people, especially Jewish people like outside of just my school district. So, very pro-Jewish camp. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very hard for me to be away from my parents at the time. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, lol uh, <laughs> but yeah that, I went there I, so I did that for four years that was like maybe like 12 13 14 15 I even had a girlfriend at Jewish camp oh my in,
2: god
1: that was literally my next question <laughs> how's that girl doing Is she okay you know I
0: really it's funny Like I think about her from time to time and like Bailey I hope you're doing well <laughs>
2: Nothing but love for Bailey. I think that my cousin went to that camp, but I'm not sure. It might've been like Rebecca Greenberg or something, but it was some like Jewish woman's name. Were there kids from a lot of different states and cities?
0: Yeah, I feel like it was predominantly Pittsburgh just because of proximity. Mm -hmm. But I know there was a lot of like New York state. And I do know that there were people that, there were like rich kids that would like, this is the weird thing about it. Actually, here, this is funny. So Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's kids Attended Emma Kaufman camp. And famously, this was when he had divorced Nicole and he was with Penelope Cruz at the time. And I remember one day Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz coming to Emma Kaufman camp. I think it was to drop Connor off. And I remember them carting around on a golf cart. And I remember from like a very far off distance seeing Tom Cruise at my camp in West Virginia and just being like, so. Fucking shook. But yes, yeah, so to that extent, there were rich non-Jews or just like p- rich people from across the country that for some, this is the part that never made sense to me because it wasn't a camp for rich kids. But I think maybe it was like rich parents' efforts to make their kids, you know, normal.
1: More <laughs> grounded. Yeah, more grounded. Just you leave them in Virginia, the woods. We'll was do it, it for up? you. <laughs> Yeah, Was it a full eight weeks or did you go for like a four week session or whatever? I
0: did a three week and then I did, Mm -hmm. there was like specialty camp. Okay. So my parents will deny that this happened, but I stayed on an extra week and did horseback riding camp. I have no record of this, but I did do it. They like, they now like deny the fact that it happened, which makes me like, (sighs) I feel like it's, I'm being gaslit by my parents, but I did go for an extended week of like horseback riding camp. But in general, I went for three weeks. I honestly don't think my small brain at the time could have handled the eight week. I just think uh, mm-hmm. to me it's like I don't even know if it was like missing my parents or missing Pittsburgh. And then also like I just had a hard time with like the bugs and the bathroom situation. Mm-hmm. And also like as a young gay boy, being around a lot of straight boys in close proximity was like I wouldn't call it traumatizing, but it's like it was definitely like I needed more less testosterone mm-hmm. um presence. Yes. And it was just a lot of like paintball and like they like played a lot of like card games. And Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I just wanted to like listen to my watch. Especially at
1: like age 15, I feel like boys start getting really, really disgusting. Like, I remember at my camp when we were at age 15, there was like this rumor that turned out to be completely true that one of the boys in my age group was like throwing poop at the other campers in the bunk. And I just, like, will never forget that, because, like, why would that ever happen? And I feel like they used to have, like, jerking-off contests, like, who could, like, last the longest. And it's just, like, so, like, just so disgusting. And I'm so glad that you stopped going when you did. (laughs) Yeah, no, I am too. But I do wonder, like, because
0: I was just talking about this with my boyfriend. Like, I have no, I've never been, like, a counselor. I've never been a babysitter. Like, I've just never been someone of authority to, like, younger people So I do kind of wonder, like, had I... Because my older brother did go on to become a counselor. And I just always wonder, like, Mm -hmm. if I had, like, had, like, later in life camp experiences, um, what that would have been like. Like, if I, like, you know, those nights out with, like, just the counselors, where they, like, went downtown to Morgantown and, like, had beer. And, like, at the time, I was like, oh, my God, they're so cool. I want to be them. You know? Could have been.
2: I feel like that's what college is for, when you're, like, pretending to be an adult on your own.
0: Yeah. But also, it's like, I went to NYU, so it's like, I didn't have... Like, it's like we're, I was in New York City, so I never had like college town vibes. I feel like that could have been mm-hmm. camp There you go. Camp counseling.
2: I was going to ask where you went to college, but you answered that question
0: for us. New York University. But if I were to write it out, I would NYU. put stars over some of the vowels because I'm not proud.
1: <laughs> do, you, do you think that being in New York through those college years like helped you kind of form your Jewish identity? Because I feel like obviously New York. Yeah. <laughs>
0: kind of Jewish, yeah, Still yeah. I mean, for sure. I, th- I mean, I think just going to college in general and going through like the pangs of early twenty-somethings and sort of like identity excavation or like you know, sort of for- forming one's identity was very big. But I, I would say like that the prominence of my Jewish identity or like or the forefronting of it that didn't happen until my late twenties. I would say like my early twenties was all about gay 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 Mm -hmm. because I was like in New York City going to gay clubs I went to theater school so I was around a surplus (sighs) of LGBTQ plus individuals and just I was in a city where it's like even though I didn't I even though I had a pretty easy go of it you know especially in my high school being around other people like me coming to New York and having it be so normal was like obviously a culture adjustment Mm -hmm. it was just like Mm -hmm. gay lgbtq plus people but particularly gay men because we live in a patriarchy they really it's just it's easy you can walk down the street holding hands you'll see it regularly you see male affection in public you see gay people at the forefront of so many companies blah 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 so that was really early on it was like all about calibrating my gayness and figuring out like what kind of gay person I wanted to be. And then I would say like, later in my 20s, it was like, oh, like Judaism is a big part of who I've been all along, Mm -hmm.
2: but let me like tap into that. So you studied theater. When did you make the transition? In high school. No, in college, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, did you study
1: theater in college as well?
2: Yeah, I went for theater directing.
1: Oh shit. So you were at Tisch?
0: I was indeed. Iconic. Oh you and Lady
2: Gaga. Jill. Yes,
0: me and Gaga, yes. So,
2: <laughs> two best friends. Sorry, Jess. Um, <laughs> so how did you make the transition to writing and establishing yourself in your career?
0: Thank you for thinking that I'm established. <laughs> Hello. Um, I, it kind of sort of happened to me. I mean, I, I think it was around like my junior or senior year, I was making theater at NYU and just feeling kind of burnt out, not only creatively, but also being around so many other theater makers, I don't think was good for my creative brain. I know it's different for all people, Mm -hmm. but I think for me, I felt like there was just so many people making theater and so few people seeing theater. And I kept just thinking, I didn't think that I really had anything that I wanted or needed to say in the theater space Mm -hmm. that was like prevalent or prescient or or was like forward thinking, you know, it's like, if I was gonna do theater, I wanted to be the person making the Hamilton type of stuff. And what I mean by that is like cultural commentary, things that are zeitgeisty. It's like, that's my brand of interest. And I didn't see that happening. And so, The writing was like, it just sort of started off very earnestly in the beginning. I also have to emphasize, it was like a different time. Mm -hmm. It was, I started writing in 2012 and it was just, the internet was a lot different then. It was a lot less seemingly toxic and it was a lot easier to find opportunities just because there was a little bit of like a gold rush mentality towards like early internet writing, Mm -hmm. which was, this was at the time when it's like, print was still in favor and so the idea of like the internet was just beginning to take off and people were just starting to grasp the immediacy of the internet it was still at that time it was like oh no one wanted they wanted the in book that was like always more important and i think that i and i always say this and i encourage all people listening that want to work in this industry i don't know why you would but if you (laughs) want to still with everything going on but it's just like i was very i reached out to people constantly this was like it was really it's like I, it was like the beginning of you know, Facebook and all of or not beginning, but it was like mm-hmm. when Facebook was really starting to pick up, and it was easy to get in touch with people. I still feel that way now. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I just am a very excitable person. And so it's just it's like I, you know, I started interning for Michael Friedman, who was the composer of Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. and he did he was working on Angels in America on Broadway at the time, or I was, I was off Broadway. Um, And I started assisting him and I started working with the civilians, which is a theater troupe and assistant directing work with them. And and that was kind of what got me interested in the writing process, even as I was like exiting the theater world. And then it's just like one, I got one gig and it kind of led to, it's like one of those things where it's like, it doesn't really like make sense. There's not like a linear trajectory, but it's like, I just started writing one place and opportunities kept happening. And I was extremely a yes person and I was, so curious and i got a lot of like the bullshit assignments that no one else wanted but the thing was like i wanted them Mm -hmm. so it's like it was never it's funny now and I'm, i'm in a place where i'm starting to say no to opportunities now and it's funny because it's so hard for me um to say no to things because even the things i'm not i can kind of always find a way to be interested in a subject and so at the beginning it was just natural curiosity that kind of lent itself and then like the whole like and I don't consider myself a journalist, but when people give or bestow that title on me, I think it's just intense curiosity mm-hmm. and and the desire to get like I I kind of know it's like I need all I need to approach I need to know everything about this subject so that I can speak with authority. So it's less like I'm a great journalist and more like I am so scared about sounding dumb that I want to make sure I ask. Every single possible question. Mm-hmm. So there's no opportunity for holes in the story.
2: Gotcha. I feel like the definition of journalist is definitely evolving with the prevalence of the internet and social media. And having a big following on Twitter or Instagram doesn't necessarily make you a journalist. But in many ways, like you have a similar following and a platform, so you have that same responsibility. I don't know that everyone yeah. realizes that though when
0: they're in. Yeah, positions. but I mean, to your point, it is like. If you say, especially when it comes to like, because the stuff that I cover, so like Real Housewives Mm -hmm. or The View or Drag Race or whatnot, it's like very easy to say something innocuously and have it get picked Mm -hmm. up. And especially when you are, and I say this with an eye roll in my inflection, but like when you are a blue check mark on a place like Twitter, Mm -hmm. people... And this is, I actually think this is a bad thing, but people often regard, they put more weight into what you say, Mm -hmm. not realizing that like the blue check mark is like white meaningless. Mm -hmm. It's just a verification that you are the person you say you are, not that you are a person of credibility. But again, like that gets mixed up sometimes. So yeah, I think that there's definitely a way in which um, it's definitely helped my career in many senses. But I also, I push back at the idea of journalists because I think there are people that go to school for journalism and respect the, and I was, wait, I take that back. I respect the craft, but that are a lot more meticulous and that do more important work. I feel like, for instance, I was thinking about this recently. It's like, I am not writing features that like really take people to task or push back at people. I was just thinking, I was just listening to a friend of mine interview, Bethany Frankel. And the whole time I'm listening to it, I'm like, he's talking about her recent controversy with WAP, the WAP single. If you don't know about it, Google it. And I kept thinking as I was listening it, I was like, why is he not pushing back at her more? And then I thought about it and it was like, you wouldn't be pushing back at her if you had the mm-hmm. opportunity to interview Bethany Frankel. I feel like I am not going to play hardball with people that I love in a way that I would expect out of real journalists. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying. I do want to push back on your statement that other people are doing much more important work because I think everyone and every journalist, you included, are doing important work in their own right. Like, I mean, Jess and I are obsessed with unorthodox. We read your mm-hmm. article, your interview with how do you say his name Amit? Amit, yeah, I Amit, mean, who is a fucking gem. Love. Like I did not, I didn't know anything about him. You asked him fabulous questions. It was such a great read. I'm so happy you did that. Oh, and like He's
0: coming on. Um, shut up, Evan, in 2021, early 2021. So yay! Oh my god,
1: we will be listening. Which also leads me to you. Obviously, started a podcast like right before the queue um right before covid how (laughs) how did that affect your podcasting also just like why did you want to start the podcast like just tell us a little bit about all that
0: i had been working at a website called mike.com for a while i got to do a lot of celebrity interviews especially towards the end of my time there and it was never something i like thought i was interested in it was kind of something i got tasked with doing in the beginning And I came to really Mm -hmm. like it. And I was like, wow, like booking is a lot easier than I had thought Mm -hmm. because people are promoting things. I get to talk to them and it was just sort of fun. And when that, when the mic job ended, I was kind of like, oh, wow, I don't really have a place where I can do interviews. And even so, I feel like I have a unique, I feel like I have a process with which I do interviews that can't always come through in the print text I found myself having to take out a lot of like the more fun moments or the bantery Mm -hmm. moments Mm -hmm. or like I would love to connect with my interview subjects about in shared interests of ours that might not be relevant to the interview and there wasn't really a hub for that so I just was like oh like this will be so simple I'll set up a microphone and that will be that and then I quickly realized that like quality is, quality and taste are something that are very, very important to me. And so it quickly became apparent that if I was going to do this, I needed to have the quality of the production, not just be like, you know, hit record and upload. I was like, I needed it to be really <laughs> finely edited. No, 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 that's mm-hmm. and no shade <laughs> whatsoever. It's not, no, and I love the, it's like, I, in retrospect, it's like, I kind of wish I would have gone that route. Um, But it became really highly curated and really meticulous and just like creating the social media of it all Mm -hmm. and the Patreon and all these things. It kind of grew and grew and grew. But I got really lucky in that people said yes. That was the number one thing I found. And like when we were going into production for season two, I was like, I really want to take a big swing with our first guest. And I knew Olivia Wilde from from Instagram. Mm -hmm. We just would like talk on Instagram quite a bit. And I reached out to her, and she said yes. And and that's not a testament to me; it's a testament to just like the uh, just having um, the cojones to just sort of say like, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. I don't think Olivia Wilde had any idea about shut up, Emin whatsoever. She may not even have an idea what it is now. But it's like I think I just <laughs> got lucky with people saying yes, and it kind of just grew and grew. And I just. Yeah, it was like, I wanted to have long-form conversations with people. I'm a talker, if you can't tell. <laughs> and it's been really, really fun. And then I think, like, there have been themes that have arisen solely through, like, kind of where my guests have taken mm-hmm. the show. But I, what I like about the show in its present format, if I may say, is, like, it's a combination of meticulous research and the desire. I say a desire. I don't want to say ability. But the desire to go with the whims of the guest. So I really try and make it both really tightly crafted and loose enough that the shoestrings can come untied and we can keep
2: Mm on. We listened to your interview with Chloe Feynman, and it was so cool to hear her talk about her Judaism because we knew she was Jewish, but we didn't know how she felt about it. So it was so, we were like, oh, I mean, at least I can only speak for myself. I was like, I feel the exact same way. So it's cool how those conversations sort of evolve. And what's interesting too is like with the Judaism
0: conversation, especially with someone like Chloe, it's like, that might be a total non-starter. Like I had the question in prepared and everything and queued up, but like her answer could be like, yeah, I'm Jewish. It's had no significant meaning in my life. Mm -hmm. And then we'd move on. And so it's kind of like, The Judaism question, and we've had three guests where it's really been explored. So it was Isaac Mizrahi, Shoshana Bean, and Chloe Mm -hmm. Fineman. And all three of those were like, I had a single question lined up, but I don't know the extent. When I have a gay person on, I feel like more often than not, I feel comfortable in the fact that their gayness has played a significant role, either in their personal life or in their public life. Like that, I can ride on gay topics. Judaism is not what I can really depend on, but it's like, if a guest is willing to go there and has interesting insights, as I really think someone like Isaac Mizrahi was like fascinating, just because he grew up in a Hasidic neighborhood. It like informed so much about his young life, his design, et cetera. So I feel like those conversations I really value because it's like, again, speaking to like the unstructured aspect of the podcast, I don't know how much I'm going to get out of them with that. And so when you have someone like Chloe, who like has a lot of Jewish stories to like to
2: to pop off about? I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, it is a blessing. Speaking of Jewish people, you are a self-described or self-proclaimed Sarah Michelle Geller historian. What makes you so drawn to her? She's Jewish, right? She's not Jewish. What made you think she was Jewish? Okay, I have Googled this thoroughly. <clears throat> And according to the internet, she's Jewish. Maybe she just has that affect. I didn't think. I mean, she doesn't seem very Jewish to me. But I was like, Geller is her last name, so it kind of makes sense.
1: But Geller is very neutral. Haven't and you isn't isn't
2: the Jewish Geller G E L
0: L E R
1: E R? And she's A yeah. R.
0: I I don't. This is funny. It's like I'm calling myself a historian. I I don't. I don't think she's Jewish, but I don't want to proclaim her religious affiliation for sure. On the record, we need to find um, that out. So I don't know, but I don't. I've never. If if she was, that would shock me.
1: Okay. Also, Google is always wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> like check any celebrity's age, it's wrong. Like yes, yes.
0: Also, Google <laughs> thinks that Sarah Michelle Gellar is a Republican. So. Yes, I will say Google is not reliable with its Sarah Michelle Gellar. Google. Um, we will never use yeah, Google. Yeah, because that's one big thing I always get about her with people is like, oh, she's a Republican. And I'm like, well, she voted for Hillary Clinton and she's voting for Biden. So mm. you tell me what kind of Republican So
1: joke's on you. Yeah. Do you get sick of talking about her? Like, do no. you, are or are you happy that's like part of your identity? I think that <laughs> like, it's because it's
0: been a part of my identity for so long and like, and before the internet, it's not, it's funny. It's like, it's become... The performative aspect of my love of her is a byproduct of an authentic love that was built over decades. (laughs) So it's just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like asking a parent, do you get sick of talking about your kids? It's just like, (laughs) no, it's like, she's a part of me. She's been a part of me always. She'll hopefully always be a part of me. So it's like, I don't get sick of it because I just, she's so imbued in, in every chapter of my life. And also it's like, Every, I always say it's like everyone who's ever met me at any juncture of my life, even down to Rabbi Mahler, my rabbi, growing up at Temple Emmanuel, who bar, who who was that officiated my bar mitzvah? Is that the term? Whatever you want to call it, we'll take um, it. Bar mitzvah everyone, you, I think yeah, you everyone who's ever intersected with me knows that about my life. My bar mitzvah had two Sarah Michelle Geller stand up dolls imported from Japan. Oh my god! I mean, like it's just, yeah, it, it's it's just it's always been there. So. <sighs> long story made long. No, I never get sick of it.
1: What was your bar mitzvah theme? So the theme
0: was technically like Hollywood, but Hollywood was only comprised of Sarah Michelle Geller. as it should
1: be. <gasps> oh my That's God. I love that. Epic. My, I just, because I think this will fascinate you. My bar mitzvah theme was club JC, but I stole everything from club Paris, like her nightclub. And I stole her logo, like with the pink crown. And it was amazing
0: that's awesome
1: you actually know her right it's not like this unrequited love like she knows you exist
0: yeah we've met a couple of times now yeah we email not as much as i'd like but we i'm (laughs) i'm very selective about like when i reach out to her just because i don't want to abuse the privilege it is to know her but i get a card on my birthday um, That's huge. Her. And I'm in her phone book. I mean, yeah, we, I would say I'm very blessed in the sense that I think she finds my love of her. I, 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 I should, I think this, it could be so wrong, but it's like, I think she gets that my fandom is not like, I mean, maybe it is creepy, but I, my sense <laughs> is that she understands and finds the whole thing quite funny, as I do too. It's like, I love her. I also think, I, not only think I know I am ridiculous. I am a ridiculous person, and so I think there's a levity around the love that I think she recognizes that it's like never like you know. But yes, we we know each other. Isn't that funny? It's so crazy. That's wild.
1: That's how I feel about my relationship with Mark Maron. Like I think he appreciates my fandom because like I've been obsessed with him for like oh my god like probably like twelve years at this point. And it's kind of embarrassing, but like everyone knows this about me. Like we definitely have met a few times. We've emailed. And yeah, I feel that connection with you where like I I understand where where your heart is and how you
2: feel about her because I have the same, quite similar situation. I love Mark Aaron. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a celebrity crush. Like I like celebrities in general and I'm- It's beyond crush. I don't have an obsession with a celebrity, but I will like fixate on certain celebrities after I see like a movie that I really like where I go to a concert. Like I remember going to John Mayer's show- when I was in high school and being, like, obsessed with him. But then that was quick- quickly replaced by Robert Pattinson after I saw Twilight. Mm. So I definitely respect your guys' good commitment. We are quickly going to ask you, because we have
1: to know the Kim Cattrall story, if you don't mind telling it. Why did she block you and subsequently unblock you on Twitter? Mm.
0: The update. It's such an in- interesting story, so I'll keep it brief. But basically, it was 2015. This was, like, at the height of, like, the this was before all of the drama with SJP, but it was like the height of like, are we going to get a Sex and the City 3? She was tweeting about something and I kept responding to it, asking about Sex and the City 3, which is what got me blocked originally. I think she was just annoyed with like an incessant fan asking about a subject that she was like done talking about. (laughs) This was 2015 again, 2020, like two weeks ago now. All of a sudden I saw her tweets popping up on my timeline. And I was like, this is so weird because I usually had to look at her incognito. And I was like, oh my God, she's on timeline main. And then I realized she unlocked me. So I messaged her. I, re- I responded to one of her tweets about Joe Biden. And she responded asking if, if 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 I was still blocked, which LOL Kim, you're in control of the block button. But um, so basically, yeah, Unity at last. It was uh, a five year feud that her and SJP are still feuding. But Kim and I, oh I know, are, we're in the twenty
2: twenty isn't all bad. Truly,
1: I I assume you've seen the video of Kim Cattrall scatting. Yes, correct? yes,
2: I am. Uh, <laughs> there was no further question there. I just needed to make sure yes, you were yes. This is a super pressing question. What is your favorite housewives franchise and who is your favorite housewife? My favorite current or of oh, all, time. all
0: time. My favorite housewives franchise of all time is New York. But if I feel it feels necessary to like mention Potomac, because I think Potomac is having an exemplary <laughs> run. But I think New York seasons one through ten. One through ten, I would say, are Fundamental seasons one through three and seven through 10 are some of the top most top tier reality television of all time. Thank
2: you, Andy Cohen.
0: So, my favorite housewife of all time is Bethany. However, who Bethany is quickly becoming the public persona mm-hmm. of Bethany in 2020 does not jive for me. And I'll be curious to see if I, if in Months and years of thinking of if it, if I feel it tarnishes her overall image. But I was just listening to her on a podcast before coming on to this and just thinking, wow, everything I love about my queen, um, the kingdom has kind of mm. evaporated. It just, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, I think that housewives as a phenomenon would not exist, all of them, without Bethany. I think Bethany invented the idea of the Greek chorus Mm -hmm. and the idea of, like, you need someone to call out the absurdity of it all or else it just kind of devolves into chaos. And so I think that both Bethany and the archetype of what a Bethany is, because there's versions of Bethany Mm -hmm. on
2: different franchises, I believe in legacy work, and I think Bethany carries the legacy. She is an icon, though. You can't argue with that. Problematic icon, yeah. It's funny. I was going to ask you. I was, like, thinking, okay, which of the housewives are Jewish? And I was like... Kyle is the only one because she married Mauricio from Beverly Hills, for those of you who don't know, who I'm obsessed with Mauricio, but that's not what this podcast is about. But I was realizing Jill Zarin is Jewish as well. And is Bethany? Yeah, Jill. And then Jules yeah,
0: Weinstein from Real Housewives of New York season eight okay. was Jewish. And there's another like married to a Jew okay. one. I can't think of it though. Oh, but, is, yeah, is one Israeli?
1: Wait, is
2: is Ramona Jewish? God, I hope. <laughs> or not. no, no Jews on VPR, though. I'll tell you that much. No. Well, <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up now. But thank you so much for joining us and chatting with us. <laughs> I love talking about pop culture my and Judaism. So this was like my two favorite things. This is a blast. Oh, this was yes. worth getting up for. <laughs>
0: Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm very glad. And I just have to apologize again on air. I was a scheduling nightmare for the two of you, and so I appreciate your reflection.
2: Of course. Thanks for joining us, Evan. You can find Evan on Instagram and Twitter at Evan Ross Katz with a Z. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, 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 subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen for free on Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. Follow us on Insta at PrayForUsPod. If you feel like it, send us a note at PrayForUsPod at gmail.com. Shabbat shalom. This
1: podcast has been mastered and mixed by the one and only Josh Fisher.
2: Yay, Josh. We love you, Josh.